Happy Sunday, everyone. Welcome to the PHF previews. We're going team by team here at the Founding Four podcast. Of course, we are now a Black Rosie media podcast. I'm one of your current co-hosts and your co-founder of the Founding Four podcast, Erica L. Ayala. We had Mike Murphy on, who's my co-founder. And of course, Reina de la Isla. Right on time is my current co-host, We're excited today to be continuing our PHF previews. We're going to be talking about the Metropolitan Riveters. And uh, if we're starting with what they did last year and then moving right into off-season acquisitions, my oh my, there have been a lot. Angelica. Hello. Hello. How are you? Oh, I'm living. How are you? I'm doing okay. Sun's out. We're here. We're talking PHF. Uh, the Connecticut yeah. Whale. I know we're going to talk Riveters, but my goodness, the Whale put on quite a smackdown of your buttes. What's going on? I don't know, because I wasn't paying attention, to be really honest with you. So... <laughs> All, All right. <laughs> well, it was a really great performance. Uh, the Connecticut Whale, uh, just as we talked about, are such a powerful team. They were great last year, got even better. A lot of people, myself included, having absolute fits over their starting lineup the other day, oh, yeah. which is Taylor Gerard, uh, Katarina Mrazova. Kennedy Marchment up top with Allie Monroe and Shannon Turner on the blue line. Abby Ives started that game. My goodness. Yeah. I I mean, that's the thing though, is that (laughs) it doesn't matter. You can put literally, I think anybody on that starting lineup and they would do some damage. Um, I saw Alyssa Wolfiler got a hat trick and then uh, some, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I mean, like I said, they're dangerous. They are extremely dangerous. And uh, <laughs> it's all that really, that's all there really is to it. I really don't know what else to say. I but... hear that. All right. Well, we're going to get started here in just a minute. We're going to bring Dan Rice up as a co-host. Dan is basically our uh, PHF insider. I mean, what does Dan not know? So we're so glad to have him join us again. This is the Founding Four podcast, our PHF previews going team by team. I am co-host Erica L. Ayala along with Angelica Rodriguez and Dan Rice. Step to the mic. Let's see. Yeah, we've got him. We've invited you as a co-host. Well, Dan, once you get your mic together, um, why don't we start um, with talking about this Riveters team? Now, I mentioned it at the top. Um, Lots of movement. Lots of movement um, from season to season. And so... Angelica, when you think of some of the the moves, uh, what stands out to you? Um, well, they definitely um, it, 
just looking at this roster at first glance, I mean, there's really just a lot of turnover, a lot of, you know, we've talked about this as kind of like an overlying theme across the entire PHF at this point, um, that it's a lot of players who were depth players on other squads and who are kind of like rolling over to teams like the Riveters. Um, you have Casey Anderson, you have Taylor Marchand, you have Kat Crawley, who just got signed. Um, Kennedy Ganser, uh, and then you have like your main stage, Kendall Cornine. Um, so it's it's an interesting roster. Um, yeah, I mean that's as much as I have to say about it right now. But. Yeah, and Dan, I think we've got you on here again, thinking about what has happened in the off season. Uh, we've got coaching changes, we've got personnel changes on the ice. Uh, what stands out to you the most? Can you guys hear me okay? We good? We got you. Yes, on. Awesome. I was, it takes me a little second to figure out technology, so be, be <laughs> All good, all good. Yeah, so Dan, you know, let us know what stands out to you the most about this Riveters team and what, some of the things that they did in the offseason. Uh, you know, I've only obviously seen them play one game. I saw the, the, the first preseason game they played against Buffalo. Um they're a lot bigger than I think they were last season. That was one thing that, that definitely stood out to me. Um, it, it was interesting to see the the line combinations. It's early in preseason. I'm sure they, they're going to move some things around and, and move some players around and stuff like that. But um, I really liked, uh, and this is something Mike Mike Murphy and I talked about uh, last year, was it was always Packer or Cornine, Cornine or Packer, right? And um, as far as putting up points, scoring goals, every, every time they needed something to happen, those were the two that they looked to. Um, and the game that I was at, it was the power play was working really well, and that was something that was a problem for them as well. And, and they got a couple of goals from, I think it was Ganser and, and Leia Marino on, on the power play. And that's, that's something that they need. They need other people to step up and score. And um, that's I think, is going to ultimately determine how far they go or don't go is – um, how many other people end up chipping in as far as goals and, and points? Yeah, that's that's huge. You're absolutely right. I think that Packer and Cornine uh, did a lot of that. I mean, Kelly Babstock, obviously here and there, uh, though sometimes more known for her uh, physicality that sent her to the box. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> she's, she's definitely in that camp. So that's uh, the give take when you add a forward like Babstock alongside Madison Packer historically I don't know I don't want to you know I don't want to say Mama Packer slowing down I think she's uh she's innovated her game and you know also we have to remember that Madison Packer has had hip surgery throughout her career and I think you you even really from the early seasons can see how her game has continued to evolve and in a way I would argue Dan I don't know how you feel about this but in a way that I think her offensive prowess has shown a lot more and we see that in, in her points yeah, uh, 100%. She's, she's been able to, uh, for lack of a better term, she's been able to adapt to survive, right? Like, she's had to maybe change her game a little bit to, to, to stay at the level that she's played at. And, and now with added talent around her, I, I think I, I feel pretty confident in saying they have a, a little bit more talent on the team this year than they did maybe the previous two seasons. Uh, maybe they won't have to rely upon her as much. They brought over a, a, a host of... Uh, European talent, um, they're, they're going to be really important players to, to that team, and, and they're an important fabric of the DNA of that team now going forward. And 
Um, it's a good mix. It's it's a it's a really nice mix of uh, of talented North American players that have played in this league uh, in other in other places, as um, you guys have mentioned already, and and brought in that that high end European talent that uh, you know they they have a little bit of an advantage in that sense because they have I believe the only European coaching staff in the league so that that lends them a little bit more uh, uh, ability to go out and convince those players to to join their team but they do need two more players so I, <laughs> they, they're going to need to convince a couple more because uh, they're, they're still two bodies short as we sit here uh, uh, two weeks from the start of the season yeah that's going to be interesting to see how they fill uh, in the roster, to your point, still have a few more roster spots. But Mike, or Mike, hello, so uh-huh. sorry. <laughs> getting getting my names all confused. I was just looking at some work by Mike Murphy, who of course was on with us last time. We're on with Dan Rice, who is an expert of all things Premier Hockey Federation. So Dan, excuse me, um, when you take a look at, I mean, again, some of the work that Mike Murphy has been able to do and, <laughs> and talking a little bit about um, some of the players that, that we see um, who've been able to disclose their salaries and be a little bit more transparent. From what we do know about the Riveters squad, um, you know, what do you make of where they sit salary cap wise and, and um, being able to get to your point, some of that European talent? Yeah, they've, they've definitely didn't shy away from spending money this offseason to, to bring in better talent than they had in previous seasons. Now, obviously, every team did that with the expanded salary cap. Um, but they went they went really hard after some players, and they didn't always land them. Um, I can say with, with a fair amount of certainty that they went after players such as Ali Dunstrom and Morin Gable as well. Um, and ultimately, they just didn't win that, that bidding war. Uh, Boston was able to... And, for the, in those two cases, they were able to, able to outbid them for both players, but um, there, I'm sure there were other players too that they were in on that that, that they they weren't able to land. Um, but I, I don't think that the money is is an issue. I'm I'm fairly confident that they have enough money to sign these additional two players. Um, I was actually told that they have one signed, but it, they won't be available until uh, after the season has started. So like a, maybe a month down the road or so. Um, but I have not been able to confirm that. Uh, I'm still working hard on that one. I, I feel pretty confident that it's done, but I, I just haven't been able to nail down the, the exact uh, name uh, of the player, if they're an overseas player or not. Um, but I know they are looking for, you know, at least definitely one more player to fill out the, the opening day roster. And then I would assume they want to maybe add a practice player or two like some of the other teams have as well. Yeah, see, this is why we have Dan Rice on, uh, getting all the, the intel here. Works very hard to get us up-to-date news, and often before we'll hear it from uh, other sources, including the league um, and teams themselves. I'm definitely, <laughs> I'm sorry, I just want to jump in. I definitely hope that they're going to be adding another couple of defensemen, because I think that's where their light is right now, so... Yeah, I I definitely think that having defenders is going to be an important thing. Um, And I think you make an interesting point talking about defense because, um, you know, these are essentially it's a a whole new decor. Um, So there's there is a lot, including your goaltenders. Um, So that's a lot 
of um, work that needs to be done for your last line of defense. So unless they're going straight Edmonton Oilers style, or I guess what the Seattle Kraken are trying to do this year, which is basically your best defense is your offense. Just keep the puck. Um, that might be something I love, Angelica, that you brought that up. Let's talk, though, uh, about some other changes that have happened. I mean, this is like... There was a warehouse sale, <laughs> and we can we'll probably talk about some of that that at least that had to do with some of that change. But you mentioned an all European coaching staff, Angelica. So this is a situation in which they have a new head coach, a new assistant coach, um, but the but also one coach that carried over. That's because. Because Ifo Mosek, former head coach, is now the assistant under the one and only Venla Hovi. Yes, yes. Um, I mean, I think it was kind of a needed changeover, if I'm being completely honest with you. Um, you know, I think that ultimately, um, especially considering the performance from the Riveters last season, I do think that as much as Ifo Mosek goes to bat for his players, um, you know, having a, a changeover, you know, keeping him in an, in a, an assistant capacity, but having that changeover, having a fresh set of eyes is really going to help this squad. Um, and as Dan mentioned as well, you know, having that European connection, you know, I think that ultimately, I think the Riveters and the Buttes are probably two of the strongest teams in terms of bringing over overseas talent. Um, so I think that, you know, and the, and the pride as well, I'm not going to, I'm not going to, discredit them either but um i think in terms of um having that fresh perspective um you know i think that that's going to be huge for them um so yeah yeah and and dan um what is your sense of uh what ven lahovi in particular given her playing career on the women's hockey side all the way up through the international level i mean in what ways do you think that helps not only recruit some of that talent that, that allison was talking about but in what ways do you think it will impact this riveters team for this phf season yeah there's uh obviously ven was very talented her, her career resume speaks for itself um, and I think that automatically she commands that respect. Um, and from the players that I spoke to, it wasn't too many of them. Um, but I, I did speak to a few, uh, whether it was after the press event they had or after the, the preseason game. And um, they all said, like, they, they really like her. Her coaching style is a little bit different where um, and maybe this is just for training camp. I don't know if this will continue as the season goes on, but. Um, it was kind of like every day they had like a specific focus, something in particular they're going to work on, whether it's breakouts or net front presence or uh, defensive posture or penalty killing. Um, and they would go over, you know, these are our goals for today. These are the things that we're going to work on. And then they would go out on the ice and, and work through them. Um, and, you know, for them, they, they have uh, a unique setup now where uh, I believe they are the only team that practices exclusively in the mornings. Um, they're practicing from, I think it's 9 to 11 a.m. Um, and then they do their workouts off the ice uh, at the rink or, or I guess at the mall uh, afterwards. But, uh, you know, Venlo has been a, a big part of bringing a, a lot of that change. Um, you know, last season they had uh, seven nutritionists on their staff. I don't think they have that anymore. Um, but they have added a focus into uh, and, and this comes with everybody making more money and, and stuff like that. It's 
it's added more of a focus on the practice time, the workout time, um, the, the working together. And, and especially a team like this where they have, um, uh, I guess it would be 15 new players right now uh, to this team. Um, you know, everybody's kind of trying to get to know each other and each other's tendencies, um, as well as the other the three holdovers. You know, it's it, it's everybody's kind of on the same learning curve here. And um, so far, the results have been good for them. They've they've come out on top in their their three preseason games. I think they have one left. And um, whatever Venla has been selling, they've been buying, and it's been impressive so far. But you know, cautionary note for everybody: it is preseason. Everybody's not going full full out. Um, right. So we'll see what happens when when the games start for real in two weeks. Yeah. Wow, is this uh, the team with the most turnover? I'm sorry, is this the team with the most turnover this season? I believe so. I think Minnesota and, and Buffalo would be a close second, but the Riveters definitely are the only one. That's the least amount of returning players is three. Um, wow. Yeah, that's yeah, there it was like again, just warehouse sale. Um, and you know, uh, that also has to deal with front office. So last year we saw that Anya Packer uh, was the general manager. Um, we mentioned the coaching changes. Uh, there was not officially a president for the Metropolitan Riveters, as I recall, but Tori Sharon comes in, former player in the league, is now the general manager. And there is this year a president, and that is Digit Murphy. And you saw that a lot of staff, even volunteers, commenting after Murphy's uh, was officially announced as a part of the team. That includes Included Anya Packer, uh, also not with the team this year, is Jasmine Baker, who was an integral part of getting Black Rosie and the marketing side of things down. So lots of turnover also from this team. Um, you know, I we I have been on the record multiple times in saying that even before Digit Murphy was announced president, um, and e- even before she was a part of the Riveters, there was some uh, reconciling that this team, that this league needed to do, and in, in a lot of ways was not done. So, um, you know, I think the Riveters, in my opinion, are still dealing with and reeling with that. I, I I'm not sure that I want to go <laughs> go as far to say if it got better or worse from one season to the next it almost just feels like some of those off ice issues have shifted and changed um Mm -hmm. but dan you know what's what's your take uh on that just you know the riveters we know that going from the the single site season and again now into this season there have been things off of the ice that have been huge for this team whether it's dealing with um two of the players uh, one still on the team that being kelly babstock engaging with erica nardini or again now digit murphy coming over there was a covid controversy which in my opinion um on top of the whole uh, backlist chair situation probably kept the riveters out of the playoffs in the single side season um you know do you have any sense right now of, of where the team stands and where the fan base stands when it comes to a lot of that yeah it's they have a uh, a laundry list of, of things that they've been through the last couple of seasons um digit is obviously a very polarizing figure whether you you know are a fan of hers or not um she she gets people talking for better or for worse and um, from what I was told, the allure of, of obviously she knows the, the Boyntons very well and the Boyntons are involved with running the Riveters, um, as well as the Toronto Six and in a small way, the Boston Pride. And I believe they're also involved with Montreal now. Um, so 
they're they're basically what they did was they moved Digit from Toronto to the Riveters, um, and they're big fans of her, and they think that she's somebody that, uh, you know, for lack of a better term, gets shit done. Um, and 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 they, again, that's for better or for worse. Um, they they look at it like um, she can. I I would if I had to guess, and I don't know this for sure, but if I had to guess, she was a big part of the reason why they moved from Newark to East Rutherford, New Jersey, where they're now playing in a mall. Uh, Yes. We're definitely going to talk about that one. (laughs) I I saw that on the list for the rundown. I won't get too much into it, but that's something that she had a a big heavy hand in and having happen. And again, for better or worse, it's a, it's a big move, right? It gets people talking, whether or not you like it or not, if you're a fan of them playing there or not, um, it's it's gotten people talking about the franchise and um she's able she was able to bring in a a a pretty respectable coach i think um a lot of the the players that were part of the culture the last two years they're gone now um they've had a lot of things that that you you know you you kind of touched on there with lake placid um i even heard down in in florida there was an incident where players were screaming at each other in between periods yeah I wasn't there, so I can't confirm that. I haven't asked anybody really about it, but that's something that I've heard kind of going around that, um, you know, there's a little inner turmoil going on there. And, and you look at the way that they played the last two seasons, the record has been subpar. They've been at the bottom of the standings. It's been Boston and Connecticut and Minnesota and Toronto, and then kind of the Riveters and Buffalo trailing along and, um, they're the Boynton's I'm sure that they're not happy with that and they want to get this turned around and they think that um, a fresh change, a fresh president, uh, a, a GM, a new coach, a new facility, uh, the players are getting everything that they wanted out of this deal. Um, so it's it's a, a total fresh start. And, you know, the if, if they start winning, I think uh, all that kind of background stuff kind of goes away. Um, whether or not that's right or not, uh, but it's it's not. This isn't you know this isn't being covered by ESPN and 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 all the major outlets. So um, it's maybe a little easier for that stuff to dissipate um, in their minds. Mm, very interesting. Yep, and they're not they're not covering it on because they haven't hired all of us. So just putting that out there. Um, exactly. And I think I, I want you to to get in here. I just want to give a little bit of a housekeeping. Again, this is a PHF preview. We're talking about the Metropolitan Riveters. If you would like to hop into the chat and ask us questions or leave a comment, you can do so. You can also request to join the stage. But Angelica, I mean, we talked about some of the turnover. You heard Dan talk about some of the inner turmoil. I mean, what are your thoughts yeah. on how this will impact not just uh, the team on the ice, but a legacy of, a, of one of the original franchises of this league? Um. Well, I mean, I think that the Riveters have... <laughs> uh, well... <laughs> I don't even know how to phrase these thoughts, to be honest with you, because I think that my feelings on the whole situation are pretty clear cut um, when it comes to my feelings on the Riveters. But, um, you know, first off, I can say um, I definitely heard the same thing that Dan heard. And I was there in Tampa and I did see some of the residuals of that. Um, Second of all, I think that a cleaning of house is definitely, I think, what was needed just to get some of the vibes out of that team, um, just so that they can start winning again. I don't necessarily think that um, 
I, I don't think that when it comes to uh, a lot of the stuff, because even though like ESPN and the big outlets aren't covering it, um, the people who are covering it have been here for ages. And the fans are also, they've also got long memories. So I really don't think that, you know, it's going to take just them winning to have it all go away. I think there's still going to be a lot of people asking questions. I think there's still going to be a lot of people wondering, you know, whether or not the work that Anya did behind the scenes last year is going to stick because, you know, from what we've heard from her, she's done a lot of stuff um, regarding DEI and, and trying to educate the players and staff, um, you know, with, Murphy in the mix who who even knows um I think that Digit Murphy is a great example of the idea that uh all publicity is good publicity um and uh you know uh jury's out on that but um I think that uh, I to be really honest I don't know that any of those really major problems have been solved I think that we just have a lot of new faces to kind of distract from it but that's you know that's me. That's what I think. Um, yeah, I'm inclined to and- agree. It was a very uh, try and, you know, be water, Tai Chi uh, transfer of energy from one. Be water, Tai Chi. Yeah, I mean, that's how I feel about it. And, it's you know, true. I it's have true. even gone as far to be like, oh, don't at me. You can call me and check my yep. record on how I feel about this. Uh, that being said. Um, I, I, you know, about out here going to battle for folks. I said what I said, uh, and grown folks gonna have to do what they do. So, um, that's how I feel about that. Um, but both of you kind of mentioned this and we know that Digit Murphy definitely is, uh, you know, and I mean this more in a, um, just to use an example, uh, but like a ringleader, right? Uh, the ringleader of the women's hockey circus. Uh, oh, and, <laughs> and come on, y'all. Yeah, let's keep it real. That I, is I, a beautiful I, way to put that. I you know, so I was like, actually, I, I, I was just going for the jokes of it all, but I was like, actually, wait a no. minute. No, though. It's true. Um, and she certainly is. She is. And that comes with crazy. Uh, It also comes with things that are innovative and entertaining if we're keeping it a buck. Um, You know, and so I think trying to figure out where American Dream falls into the spectrum of innovative versus absolute three ring circus crazy is where I'm I'm trying to I'm trying to figure this out. And I know, Dan, you've done some writing um, on your latest piece for the Ice Garden about this and just getting players reactions. But for y'all that don't know. Um, American Dream is a brand new, um, it's a brand new mall in New Jersey, not too far from uh, where the Giants play in the uh, men's football league, American Football League. Uh, I think it's called the NHL, except for that, you know, for 30 days when it's called the NHL, I don't know, uh, or FL, excuse me. Uh, either way, they can go somewhere. But um, anyway, this is not the podcast for that. Um, go talk with our dude Dave about some of that. Anyway, um, so I think what's interesting is that this is supposed to be um, – again just as as an as a as an event space the, you know american dream like the name almost makes me have a headache of smelling cotton candy it's just so steeped in americana that, that's very interesting and apropos i guess for a team called the riveters um and all that that stands for but the 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 deal is i've been to american dream they played games there last year they've obviously gone on the rock record saying practice. facilities are better 
Um, but I think what's interesting is I've been there. It was in, the, we were still dealing with COVID. Um, and even if they weren't, I don't know where people sit to watch that hockey game. Are we beyond a time, Dan, where <laughs> we have PHF franchises that need to worry about how they're going to sell tickets? I mean, because I just don't see it. I don't see how they're going to sell more than maybe a couple of hundred tickets to a game there. Uh, okay, so uh, first things first, you, they practiced that last year. They hadn't actually played a game until last week, I think it was, when I went uh, for the, the preseason game. Uh, so they practiced there all last season, uh, a couple of nights a week. Um, and you've obviously been there. So you see, like, there's, there is no room for seating. Um, what I'm told is the plan is that the second level is eventually going to be a VIP slash um, that's where the ticket holders are going to sit. They're going to roll in maybe some, some tiered seating um, and probably try and give you some perks, whether it's, an autographed puck or a voucher for a store in the mall or the food court or something like that as, as part of a reason to buy the ticket. But um, my advice with fans is if you want to go there to see a game, don't pay for it because you can just walk uh, around ice level and stand up against the glass and, and watch it from there. Uh, there's, there's pretty oh, good. Don't do that. <laughs> that I mean, Oh dear. <laughs> <laughs> and also, yes, thank you for correcting me. They practiced there. I misspoke. Thank you for that, Dan. Go ahead. Yeah, so, um, you know, it, it's it's interesting. It's unique. It's different. It's, um, you know, my first thing was like, well, this is this sucks for the fans, right? Like, um, the, the fans, If first of all, if they want to get there and, and you don't drive, that's going to be a challenge. If you do drive, um, it's, it's off a highway. It's, it, it might be a far ride for you for myself. It's only a little further drive than going to Newark. Um, I'm, I'm pretty familiar with the area up here. So, um, I'm able to, you know, I was able to navigate it and figure out which is the right parking lot to park in and those kind of things. Um, you know, it, it, I, I had mentioned to digit, I said, you know, like, what are the fans supposed to do? Like, how do you, are, are you just saying like, uh, obviously, it's tough for PHF teams and and prior uh, NWHL teams to sell tickets to fill the barns, right? Like it's it's not always an easy sell, and you have to kind of do um, maybe be creative and have marketing gimmicks to get people into the the stands. And a lot of times, all I would see in the stands here would be um, little girls that the players were coaching and the families of the players and. Um, you start to think like, okay, well, you know, all those people aren't, aren't paying to get in, right. They're getting comp tickets. So what kind of money are you making? And, and one of the things that digit said was, you know, in, in women's hockey, you're not going to make any money off of ticket sales. Um, so maybe the, the best thing for us to do is to try and just, um, find sponsorship opportunities through avenues at the mall where, um, maybe the players are going to get sponsored deals with, with some of the stores in there. I, I don't know. I'm, I'm not a business person. I don't know any of that stuff. Um, it just seems like a weird move to me. Um, but, <laughs> and, and I told her this and I said, you know, she's after the first game I was there she's, you know, what did you, what did you think? What did you think of the game? And I was like, you know, eh, I, I said, eh, it was, you know, first of all, it was a preseason game, so I'm not going to go crazy about it, but, um, second of all, it's, it's a game being played inside of a mall and, and most people aren't going to stop and, and watch the game for two hours. Like they're going to stop. They're going to ask, what is this? You're going to tell them about it. And then they're going to walk away after five minutes. And 
and that's the end of that. And then, you know, rinse and repeat. Um, but I told her, I said, you know, it's, it, it wouldn't have been my first choice, but it wasn't my choice. So I hope it works out for you guys. Um, whether it works out or not, I don't know. I, I don't know if they think that we're, they're going to get like 300 people are going to walk up and be like, oh, my God, this is the most amazing thing I've ever seen and stay there for two hours or watch it when they're their specific purpose of going to the mall was to go shopping or to take their family shopping or to take their kids to uh, the water park, because this isn't just a mall. It's a mega mall. There's a million and one different things that you can do there. In addition to shopping, there's a, a, a ski slope kind of thing, um, some kind of or, or thing like that. I, I don't, I don't really know, but um, it's, it's going to be challenging. Um, we'll, we'll see what it looks like. I, as I, said on Twitter, like, I thought it was great for, for me personally. Like, I like watching the game along the glass. I had plenty of opportunity to do that on Friday night when I was there from multiple different angles, whether it was behind the benches, across from the benches, behind the goalies, um, in the corners. Um, and there was an opportunity where during warm-ups, a couple of pucks came over the net, and I was able to give them to young kids. Um, but, you know, and again, like I said, five minutes later, those – those kids and those families were gone because they weren't there to watch a hockey game. They were there to, for whatever specific, specific reason they were at the mall. So it'll be interesting yeah. to see how it works out as we go forward. The home opener is November 19th and the next day is the second game and they're going head to head with a football game at the same time at the stadium. Oh, next door. So that sounds um, dreadful. If, if, if you're going to be taking, um, if you're going to be driving up there, you know, Don't. it might be a little bit of a hassle with traffic uh, for two one o'clock games. Right. And then you just said that – I was like, if you're thinking of driving – and I was like, oh, God, don't. That sounds terrible, like a nightmare. But um, but but then you said if you don't want to drive, unless they're going to start, you know, shuttling people over, that that's – you know, that's going to be very interesting. I'm glad that you mentioned them going up against football from a proximity issue as opposed to, to anything else. But, Angie, I know you're going to pop in. No, I was just going to say, I'd also like to venture to add that, um, I mean, let's be real. It has to be a mega mall because just historically speaking, nobody goes to malls that I much was anymore. thinking that as well. It, and, and, so... and it's new. There's a literal, you could throw, you could shoot a puck from the edge of the ice to the the wall that separates the little walkway from like a wave pool it's this massive wave it's very gimmicky it's very all american an, an american dream yeah. uh that not only that but it's just like i don't i i just i feel like this entire idea is very much steeped in like 20 years ago mentality which again doesn't shock mm -hmm. me when you consider who had the input on it but uh yeah i'm just you know, that's interesting that you bring that up. I, I agree with you. We have not seen the trend go up on malls. Uh, again, it's a newer mall, so they, I think, have at least maybe we'll give them five years to be able to still have that shiny new nickel look to it. But here's another thing. As someone who will be broadcasting these games, uh, now they have moved us broadcasters to a studio, so I don't have to physically be there, though I am very concerned on where the media area is for my comrades who do go to games. But we have to bring in cameras, and the cameras are much better than when we started this league. Um, and we are broadcasting on ESPN+. Plus, So we have, you know, 
cameras in the corners. We're supposed to have a shot of the full ice because, again, we have to have as many camera angles as possible since we're not calling in arena. I'm thinking about what I know of this space, what Dan has said and other people who've gone there have said about just being able to walk up. That sounds like a nightmare for someone who's trying to broadcast a professional (laughs) hockey game to do that literally in the middle of a mall. Yeah. No, it doesn't sound very practical. I just, and also, I mean, we heard a little bit about it, you know, to go back to the practicality of it, which piggyback off of that. Um, we heard already, you know, about pucks, you know, he- heading into some of the stores around the mall. I think one of them deflected during the Buttes game into a coffee shop. So now you're oh, talking. Yeah, now you're talking safety concerns. Now you're talking, okay, we need to really reevaluate this and make sure that it's safe, not just for fans, not just for players and spectators, but for people who were just, you know, wandering in, want a cup of coffee, want to shop, want to do this and that. And now they have to worry about getting hit by a street pop. So it's like, you know, from a safety standpoint, and also, I mean, that don't open yourself up to a lawsuit. Like that. That's that's not what we need. But, you know, I think another thing, Dan, that you mentioned uh, that Digit said is that this does sound like a team that's not very concerned about ticket sales uh, and that they are going the sponsorship route, sponsorship route. It sounds like, again, opportunities for the players baked into them all. I get that. I don't think that should be the sole focus. I think that you are missing a golden opportunity for essentially not only really free marketing, but marketing that fans literally pay for. Every time we buy a jersey or a hat or a jersey or a ticket uh, or a poster, we're paying to give free marketing for wherever we wear that or we post it or if we're going to have it on a live stream when we're talking about a team on a podcast. Like all of these things are our money in and I I don't think that you go just the sponsorship route or you go just the the grassroots uh, rely on your fan base route but wouldn't a business model have all of that and so I think it's interesting but it's interesting to see and I don't know if this is a new wave of sports there is a lot of innovation happening in sports I just don't see to Angie I think what you were saying that this necessarily hits the right trends at the right time no. And I mean, but what does that sound like to you? I mean, where did she coach for years before coming to the PHF, the CWHL? Mm-hmm. Very much that similar business model and look at where they ended up. You know, I hate to think that way, but it's just like, that's a very limiting perspective. Like, especially when you mentioned like the whole grassroots thing. I'm like, I've heard Brenda Andrus say that so many times when I covered the CW. So it's like, I just, I don't. I don't get that. I don't think that the league and this team is at a spot where they can afford not to worry about ticket sales, where they can afford not to worry about reaching out to their fans and making it more accessible. They may end up, and again, only time will tell, they may end up driving away more fans than they actually reach out to with this situation. I think there's a reason they're the first ones to do this (laughs) because I don't think that it's a great idea. But again, you know, prove me wrong. I'll I'll be happy to eat my words, but I just don't, I don't see it. Yeah, I don't, I don't either, but we'll see. I think they also have an interesting roster. Some names here, and we've hit on this a little bit, but I mean, we have the return of Amanda Pelkey. Madison Packer is back. We've already mentioned Kendall Cornine, Babstock coming back. Uh, Catherine Carley, Casey Anderson, Taylor Marchin 
all coming from Connecticut. I mean, Harley and Ganser from Buffalo. Not to mention, we have, uh, as we talked about, players coming from Europe uh, who either are from Europe, played in Europe, including, of course, Ven Lahovi, their head coach. Uh, but what is this team, Dan, going to look like on the ice? Do you think that they have done enough? Again, we know preseason is underway. Uh, you can get a little bit of a gauge, but not the full picture. Um, but early returns. Has this team done enough to move up and be a little bit more successful in the Premier Hockey Federation? Uh, yeah, that's it's interesting. Um, I think they kind of have, uh, and again, it's preseason. I, I'd like to see more, but I, I liked what I, I did like what I see. I like what I've heard um, from all the players and, and everybody that that you know is kind of in with them there. Um, just to to go back to the the, the rink thing with the mall one more time. Um, as far as the broadcasting goes, I think there are good. There's going to be good angles to cameras there, and I think your corner cameras will be really good because the glass isn't scuffed up like we're used to seeing in, in some rinks that are more frequently used, like in Newark or in Warrior Arena um, in Connecticut as well. I, I think this glass is it was pretty pristine the other night, and I'm sure that may change over the season. Um, but I think if they set up in the corners and even if they set up a camera um, on the second level, looking down on, on the, the ice, I think you'll get some, some great angles that way and it'll, it'll really help you guys. Um, but as far as the team goes, like I said I, I, earlier, I really like the size that they added. Um, Ange knows this. Harley is a huge, huge presence on the blue line. Oh, yes. Just just a big body. And, and not only is she a pain in the butt to play against, you know, if you're trying to – screen the goalie like she she's that defender that's going to be there like oh yeah putting her stick in your back and trying to move you out of the way and she's she's pretty good at that but um, she's so strong and she's just very very skilled on both sides of the puck so you guys got a very very strong defender in emily yeah and and also uh, a player like Leia marino she's she's a player i didn't really get to see too often in person i think i saw her play maybe once in person last season uh, with Toronto, and I didn't realize how big she was, and uh, maybe it was the the size of the players that she was playing against that night, or, or that particular shift, or the couple of shifts that I saw. Um, but she's she's a big, wide frame, and um, and surprisingly uh, was able to find some some open areas of the ice, and and was able to uh, convert a really nice cross ice pass on I think I believe it was a power play. Um, so the Riveters had big problems with. Uh, other players scoring goals besides for Packer and Cornine and special teams. I think they addressed all of those issues. You mentioned Pelkey. That's a, a huge name to come in and help them uh, take some of that scoring pressure off of those two players. Um, and and you mentioned Babstock a couple of times. She did pop in a couple of goals um, during the preseason so far. So uh, her hands are still there. I don't know if she's still the same player that she was. Um, that the OG PHF fans are going to remember when she was um, lighting the lamp pretty frequently for Connecticut. But I, I think she's still got some goals left in those hands. And, and obviously the physical presence is always going to be there. So um, then they're, they're definitely not going to be a team that's going to get pushed around. Um, they've added a lot of players that, uh, to be frank, I'm not too familiar with because I, I don't follow international hockey as, as, close as closely as some of my other colleagues do. Um, but by all indications and everything that I've seen, um, I, I'm, I'm intrigued by what they can be. Um, but if, if you asked me if they're one of the top four teams, I would probably say no at this point. But yeah. I, I, I'd like to see everybody in action you know, before we, we start making those kind of calls. 
Yeah. How? What do you think of their speed? Because I feel like last year, I think that was kind of a sticking point for them is that I think they've always been a little bit more on the physical edge. They've had, you know, their, I mean, aside from Cornine, what, do you think that that's improved at all? Oh, yeah. I, I think uh, Catherine Crowley is, is a really fast player. Uh, uh, Mintu Tuminen, I, I, I hope I pronounced her name correctly. She was very noticeable, the game that I was at, very, very fast, very speedy. Um, Casey Anderson is another player that we're all pretty familiar with. She's yeah. she's she's good for an occasional uh, speed down the wing and pop in a, a goal here and there. Um, she she's able to create a lot of plays with her with her foot speed and um, and another player that you're very familiar with, Ange Kennedy Ganser. I I thought oh, she yeah. was I thought she was one of Buffalo's best players last season. Mm-hmm. Um, she won the 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 team Rookie of the Year award, I believe, she, some, something of that yeah. ilk. Um, yes, she and and she's able to find a home here with with the Riveters and um, yeah. don't discount this fact. So I, I I spoke with Kennedy after the game um, and I I kind of asked you know was was this pre planned like you and Emily coming here together or was this did it just work <laughs> out that way and um, she mentioned to me like they had this group chat that they had started and just to kind of see where everybody was going to be doing this summer where they were going to be going where they were signing and she says. Um, uh, yeah, you know, Kennedy says, yeah, I'm, I'm signing with the Riveters. I, I just kind of made it official. And Emily replies like, oh, my God, I just spoke with them today. And, and I'm I'm seriously <laughs> considering signing there. So it, it worked out for the two of them. And now yeah. they're here kind of going through this new adventure, you know, a whole bunch, new city, new teammates, right? But at least they're going through it together. They're living together. Um, Kennedy's awesome. mom and dad drove down 36 hours to, to come see her play, um, but to also drop off her car. Um, so, so she has some wheels to get around the, the New York, New Jersey metro area. Now, uh, the two of them can do a little sightseeing and stuff like that. And, um, it just, it just helps. I, and I think it helps with the Connecticut girls too, where like, I know that they march in and, and, uh, and Packer, uh, and Crawley and Anderson, they all kind of know each other off the ice, but they never really played together on the ice. So that, that transition will be really easy for them. And, and it should help, uh, with this you know, 15 new bodies, 18, you know, 18 players on the team right now. And they're all kind of like, hello, my name is, and (laughs) let's get to know each other and each other's tendencies, what you like, what you don't like. And um, if they can, if they can pull it out, um, you know, it'll it'll be a a really neat story for them. And, uh, but we'll see, we'll see. They they have some really good goalies too. I I like the, both additions that they made. Um, It feels like it's an upgrade. But and and that's no disrespect to the the previous goaltenders that they had, but it it feels like an upgrade over the past two seasons. But again, we have to wait and see. It's it's only you know we haven't even played any real games yet, so we'll see when uh, when they hit the ice in Boston and and the puck drops for real in, in a week from today, and we'll see where they're really at. Yeah, Dan, I'm I'm glad you brought up the goaltending. I was going to ask you about that. I agree with you. I think this is kind of. Um, you know, a step in, in a, a direction to really make this a competitive squad. But goaltending, we know, is one of those things that it can be completely finicky. And to your point about the goaltending from last year, I think, especially if you look at Brooke Waleko coming in, I don't think was expected to really be fighting for a starting spot, whether that was with Connecticut or eventually coming over to the Riveters. But I think her game, um, it, it went noticed. And I think that at times she was able to, to keep keep a Riveter squad in some games. So, um, 100%. Yep. 
Yeah. You know, but I think to your point, this is maybe going with, again, some international players with international talent and who have been that player. And so, you know, if they if they can scrap out wins, that's maybe more of the exception as opposed to uh, the rule or what is expected of them. So in that way, I think uh, goalie goaltending changes. Dan, I wanted to go back to something that you said earlier. Um, mm hmm. And you mentioned that this is a Riveters team that has practices in the morning. And I have deduced some of that by Anya Packer. I, you could deduce a lot from Anya Packer's tweets a lot of times, including <laughs> last year when uh, I knew that they had a, a different jersey uh, logo. But anyway, um, <laughs> you, mentioned that, <laughs> you mentioned that this team is practicing in the morning. And I know we talked about this in a, a few of our PHF spaces, as we know that the salary cap has changed. We've talked about salary cap a little bit on, on our spaces today, but we've also talked about how we're moving to a PHF where more players, not, I wouldn't say the overwhelming majority, but we're seeing more players year over year be able to focus more on hockey. Um, so with practices in the morning, though, just kind of looking at this roster and at least what I remember knowing of some of them the last time, uh, they, they hit the ice. Casey Anderson, uh, I believe, is is in a, a master's program. Kelly Babstock doing a lot of coaching and community work. Madison Packer has been able to shift to a hockey first um, kind of focus, as as I understand. But, yep. you know, are, are we seeing a, a little bit of a shift um, in practice attendance? Are there other opportunities for those who can't go to the morning practices? Like, what do you have a gauge right now of, of what that looks like for the team? Um, I, I think they're the, as I said, I think they're the only team that is exclusively pr practicing in the morning. I think some teams are doing, um, whether it's, uh, off ice work in the mornings or video work in the mornings. Yeah. I think or, Toronto's on that schedule. Right. And so the Riveters are from, from everything that I know, they're four, four mornings a week, um, two hours on the ice, one hour off the ice. And for most for all of their players, they all have the ability to make that work, except for, I think it was Kendall Cornine, where she has to physically be um, at her job. So she'll come to the rink, and then as soon as practice is over, she jets back to Connecticut and, and is doing whatever she's doing. I don't know if it's school or it's work. Um, but the other players are, a lot of them, um, you know, in a weird way, COVID worked out in their favor where a lot of them are working remotely now or have that ability to work remotely from time to time. Um, and they also have employers that are um, maybe lenient enough where, OK, you can come in a couple of hours late or, you know, work a couple of hours later um, if that's what you need to do. Um, not every player is, is obviously getting paid a living wage yet. So. Um, not every player is in the situation of Madison Packer where they don't where they can solely focus on hockey. Right. We haven't got to that point yet. We're slowly getting there. Um, but for these players, it's um, and I believe for a lot of the European players that have come over, like this is their main job. This is their source of income. So um, the players seem to like this uh, early morning aspect of you have your practices and, and then you work out and then at noon, the rest of the day is yours. You can do whatever you, you need to do or you want to do. Um, as far as some of the other teams go, it's, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty sure there are four, three to four nights uh, or three to four days of practice, whether it's night or morning. Um, mm -hmm. I, I think Minnesota is the only one where they kind of have like a, a, it's not a set schedule, but they kind of rotate whatever days they're practicing. Um, I 
by all accounts, Connecticut was two two nights a week on the ice and and one early afternoon or one morning of uh, off ice workouts. I could be wrong on that. Um, close but, two nights, two afternoons. So, yeah, yeah. So everybody's we're we're getting to this point now where where there is being more money invested in these players, and you want to see them develop the best that they can and train the best that they can. So these are the things that are going to start to happen. Um, but what, what that starts to eliminate is things that we've seen in the past, right, where you've had teams would have a player only fly in for the weekend to play games for them. Um, oh, my gosh. Colleen Murphy. How many teams? I, I, yeah. <laughs> she was the first one that I was just going to think of. Colleen Murphy would fly in from whether it was North Carolina or Maryland or wherever she was living at that point, and she would fly in for the weekend for games. That's not necessarily going to fly here anymore because you have players that are training together four days a week, right, and practicing four days a week, and they're really putting the time in. So um, for a player like a, a PHF fans and NWHL fans are very familiar with uh, Taylor Accursey, right, for example. Like she has a job where she can't just up and relocate to Boston or to Connecticut because she can't or she isn't welcomed back with Buffalo anymore. Um, she still wants to play, but she can't make that commitment to be there all week, uh, all the time. She wants to maybe just kind of pop in for, for weekend games and, and maybe a couple of practices here and there. And um, that, that's not a situation that's going to necessarily work at the, the stage that we're at. Now, I'm, I may be of the opinion that if you can add a, a, a talent like that, like maybe it's worth it. Uh, yep. But it, it's it's not my money, and and I never like to spend other people's money. You know, like um, I could do a lot of different things with other people's money, but um, <laughs> uh, you know, for her, it, it's it stinks because she's kind of caught in that place where it's only either Toronto or or Buffalo, or that's kind of it. And a lot of the girls in Minnesota, you, you'll find, have run into this, the same kind of issues. Um, a certain player uh, named Audra Morrison, we're not going to see back. Like. She still wants to play. She still wanted to play. Minnesota didn't offer her the uh, a respectable amount of money, and she turned it down. And would other teams have paid her a lot of money? Absolutely. But she's in a situation where she just got married. She's starting a family. Congratulations to uh, Audra and her husband. They're having a baby soon. Um, she has a great job as a physical education teacher in, at home in Minnesota. So, you know, unfortunately, we're not going to see a very talented player play this season, but that's that's the nature of this and, and everything evolving the way that it has. Yeah, that's definitely a, a tough spot. I talked about how I see parallels and not always good ones between where the PHF is and where the WNBA has been with some of their CBA negotiations, which of course includes the salary cap. Obviously, years of service, if you will, like uh, we're going on 27, I believe, seasons for the WNBA versus eight in the PHF. So it's not apples to apples, um, but the idea that, hey, more money, more problems, right? Uh, you're still not at a place. So the salary cap has gone up. Uh, but we heard, uh, you know, with Mike Murphy that this does present problems for general managers. And also, we're not at a place where the, the salaries are high enough, not the, even the minimums uh, or the maximum salary is high enough for a player like Audra Morrison to quit her job as a, her career as a, as a teacher to move to hockey full time and how many years 
of Audra Morrison's or Taylor Accursi's missing out while they can still play are we going to yeah. see? Uh, but you know, uh, you know. But where do we where do we go from here? Also, uh, I wanted to do another callback to uh, Buffalo Buttes history. I believe the original Colleen Murphy, maybe not in as many games, but the OG of literally being flown into a game has to go to Megan Duggan season yeah. one, where she yeah. was coaching with Clarkson yeah. and was flown in uh, after her game to try and make. Uh, I think what ended up being, well, it was a three-game series. Uh, I, I believe she made it for that game three, if, I, if I'm not mistaken. I don't, don't think she made it for game two, but Kelly Stedman did. And, oh, Kelly Stedman, another uh, just absolute icon of this league and, of course, of Buffalo. But, um, you know, we do have practice players. I, I've spoken on founding four pod how that kind of just snuck its way back in you know it disappeared and then all of a sudden before we knew it coaches were just talking about practice players like we were supposed to know they were back that being said when we had more transparency about practice players i wonder if we start to use practice players or even those ptos professional tryouts do you give taylor crazy 10 PTOs and you, 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 that's all you do it for. Do you give, um, you know, do you give Audra Morrison a practice player situation? She comes to practices when she can. And then by way of being a practice player, I would imagine is eligible if, and when you need players, because here's another thing that we haven't talked about, but there is no injured reserve. There's no farm, you know, team. There's no AHL, I guess. There's nowhere where if you find yourself in a bad way that you can bring on players. I mean, we saw what happened in Minnesota last year. I, I think I think that changed. Um, if I remember right, Mike Mike would be the one to, to definitely nail this down. But I think in the bylaws, there is a long-term injured reserve. Or no, some, there, there some, is. Some yeah. kind of maternity leave, right? And so I think what happened with uh, – you know, it, since you bring it up, the the injured, uh, I think Lauren Kelly, I know she got injured. She broke her ankle. Um, I think what they're doing is they're going to put her on like a long-term injured reserve. So they've, they have another spot opened up um, that they're looking to fill now. Um, and it, just to circle back to the Kersey thing, I know, I know for a fact that teams are interested in her. It's just mm-hmm. a matter of, can they make it work? And I like your idea of bring her in for, as a practice player, or even, Bring her in at the end of the season. Um, you know, the, we're always seeing teams at the end of the season looking to make a, 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 a late roster addition, and we're all like, oh, my God, I can't, believe, I can't believe they added this player. I can't believe they added that player. So, um, you know, if I'm a team like Connecticut where I feel like I have a really good shot at winning this year, I, I think I would call Taylor and be like, hey, what are you doing in March? Like, what's your schedule like then? Can you come live in Connecticut for a month? Can you use all your – can you, like – Build up your, yeah. your 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 PTO and 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 use those days for three weeks, four weeks in March. Um, let's go win this cup. Like uh, it's an interesting thing. I, I don't know if, if teams are thinking that way, but um, I can say for certainty that multiple coaches or or multiple people uh, associated with teams reached out to me after Taylor's announcement the other day and say, you know, do you have her number? Can we can can you pass along her number or her information because we'd like to talk to her, but. Again, I don't know if if, if that's going to work out into a, a long-term thing just be, based on her situation. So, 
We'll yeah. see. That's, that's definitely a player the Riveters could use, though, and and it, uh-huh. it, would, it would it would be really. Uh, yeah, no, let's not that's not not speak that into existence. Uh, <laughs> oh man, now you worked her up, uh, Angelica. I did want to go to you because I know you chimed in, and thank you, Dan, again for cleaning up what I was talking about about yep. long term injury reserve. You're absolutely right. Players who have to go on a long term injury, we have. Thankfully, a little bit more transparency. And yes, that is something that's in the bylaws that we can read that. I was thinking more so of, I guess, a mechanism than if you have a player on a long-term injury, then who do you, quote unquote, call up? There's not a taxi squad situation. The PTOs, not personal time off, which Dan was just talking about. (laughs) So we've got some players that have PTO and they could be on PTOs, personal time off and professional (laughs) tryout. Um, But Angie, again, I know you You've written about the bylaws, and um, d- I just wanted to give you a chance to to weigh in on the the long term injury. Um, but but thinking about how maybe in the future this could tie a little bit more closely and uh, systemically create like a system, a mechanism for players that can come in when players are on long term injury. Um, I mean, I really am not too sure how that would work, you know, at least in the near future um, or in the next couple of seasons. Um, I think that it is something that at least on an individual basis, we can kind of, you know, see what happens in terms of, you know, as Dan was kind of saying, those ringers that come in, you know, either midseason or late in the season to for a playoff push um, or, you know, a postseason run. But um You know, I think that ultimately, too, I think general managers do need to be a little careful with the salary cap in that instance, because, you know, uh, the instant that player is good to go, I mean, then you could find yourself over the cap. And it's Mm -hmm. just, you know, it's a situation where it's very fraught. And as I mentioned, you know, I talked to Nate Oliver about this um, uh, at the tail end of training camp. And, you know, he mentioned kind of utilizing some practice players in that way or, you know, potential LTIR. But I'm like, yeah, you got to be careful with that. You know, at the end of the day, you kind of screwed yourself into the situation that you're in. And, uh, you know, you can't continue to screw yourself just to, you know, get up to the top or, you know, at the very least get to the postseason. So, um, that's be very interesting. Mm-hmm. You know, and that also brings up something else that I was thinking of um, and just thinking about, you know, two-way players that we might see in other leagues. The NBA has a kind of a, a, a newer two-way player. Uh, we heard a lot about, quote-unquote, taxi squads, I think just reserves. Uh, but, um, you know, I think also if you read the bylaws, as I recall, there is a time period in which you have to be cap compliant if what. Angelica said happens in that you bring someone in uh, PTO or otherwise, and you find yourself over the cap. And if I recall uh, correctly, the way that you can become cap compliant, and of course we see this in professional leagues all over the place, is that you you cut someone to cut roster yeah. uh, to, or to cut salary caps. So you cut your roster to cut the cap. And the, the way that I think that relates to the WNBA is that, yes, we do see these cuts that happen towards the end of the season. We'll see a cut and then a player will come back. Um, it's more complicated than I have time to explain. But again, just as a way of playing those, as I mentioned, kind of salary cap gymnastics, as one of the WNBA players put it. Um, but what I, I think is interesting 
interesting is that at least as of right now, especially with no official union, therefore no collective bargaining agreement, when you are a player, whether you use the term waived or sent down or et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, you are still being compensated. And that's a part of your contracts now, as I as I understand, that's also another mechanism that doesn't exist. If a, if a team cuts a player, how much of that is guaranteed? Um, what what is a you know a waiver kind of situation, or if they are sent down, or if they don't dress? You know, do you, if you're a practice player and you dress, how much money do you make versus just being a practice player? If you're a healthy scratch, you know, all of these things. Um, I wonder how that how as the league grows and we start getting more players that are just playing. Um, hockey. Um, I'm, I'm curious to see, and I think these things absolutely have to grow as the league grows. No, they definitely do, and I think that's kind of the biggest concern is that, you know, there really isn't a whole lot in the way of protections for those types of players, you know. If you get into a situation where you have this, like, you know, shiny, big-name player who, you know, is eligible for a PTO and you bring them on, and then you have this depth player who has been working her butt off all season um, and just isn't necessarily uh, a flashy producer. It's like it just doesn't seem like it's very fair. And then at the same time, like, how do you compensate them? Like, what? Like, it is a very, very tricky situation. Um which is again why we need like a fully functioning PA already. Um, but uh, yeah, I, it's just there's a lot that's still so uncertain. And I think that the PHF is going in like stepping in the right direction, but it's very small steps and it's uh, very like <laughs> I think that it's, I don't want to say half baked, but it definitely needs a little bit of fine tuning. Yeah, mildly undercooked, like still ed- still edible, but would be bomb. And all the flavors would just sing if they baked it a little longer. Don't we all know <laughs> the feeling? Or is it just me because I've been watching cooking shows all day? I don't know. Either way. <laughs> Dan, uh, let's start wrapping up here again. Dan Rice here. I, I'm calling him. I don't. I don't care what y'all think. If you disagree, if you agree with me, let me know. But um, Dan Rice is definitely uh, our uh, premier hockey federation insider and has been since before the league changed names. Dan Rice, as we close up this PHF preview of the Metropolitan Riveters for the Founding Four podcast, uh, fill in this blank: the Riveters will be successful this season if. Oh, geez. Uh, the Riveters will be successful this season if they can get their special teams in order, meaning they can convert on their power plays and, and they're able to keep teams off the, the score sheet on their own power plays. Uh, a good penalty kill, a, a good power play will go a long ways, especially in this league, I think, where it's uh, we've started to see, I think, over the years where those those power play goals, they start to come few and far between. I mean, Boston had like three the whole season, um, then got like four in the playoffs <laughs> in, in like two minutes. Um, but that that'll be a big key for them, changing the the losses that they had from wins and and obviously um, with every Riveters team they have to stay out of the penalty box. Uh, <laughs> they, they still have some some pretty close friends of said penalty box on their roster. Um, they've gotten better over the years. Um, in, in those regards where they're not in there as frequently, but that's um, still something that it can, can you know, make or break a, a game or a season um, in the, the right situation. 
I like it. I like it. I'll step in here before we let Angelica go. I believe this, the Riveters will be successful this season if they really show off their hockey IQ. I think that the Riveters have been so used to being a blue-collar team. They've had to be that team, certainly in season one, and they can play physical and scrappy to a lot of the points that Dan was making. But I think this has a team and a, and a coaching staff where they can be really savvy on the ice. And the reason that's important is because that allows you to control and dictate the pace of the game in all three zones and whether you're up whether you're uh whether you're tied or whether you're down and i think that's the next evolution of riveters hockey in my opinion i think the the connecticut whale had that in spades last season and early returns just by looking at their roster is that they're going to have it again. So, I mean, Boston is another team that we've seen do that. I think they've had to lean a little bit more into the grit and grind, but I think if we can see a really, a a Riveters team that loves to play intelligently through and through and just have a team mentality of, of knowing the situations that they want to be in and be able to create those for themselves, I think they will be a successful team. Angie, how about you? Uh, I think the river. Huh, I'll I'll be nice. Um, I think the rivers will be ex- successful. If, uh, <laughs> uh, let's be real. I I think if they buy in with the, this new coaching staff, um, I think that uh, ultimately, as much as on ice, you know, savvy and prowess, and as much as everything on the ice needs to be cohesive, I think that it's just as important off the ice. And I don't think we saw that really from this team the last couple of seasons. I think that the vibes have been completely uh, off in that regard. Um, so I think that if Venla can get everybody on the same page early, and I think that if she can have them all buy in, I think that that's half the battle right there. And then you can focus on everything else later. I love it. So basically, in summary, sage them sticks, sage the ice, sage that net, all all of the bad juju uh, gone, and then dance and sing with some Palo Santo to bring in. Goodbye. I mean, I love it. Or you could, or you could just ignore me, and I'll just sit up and No, I think you're absolutely right. I think buy-in is huge for this Riveter squad. I think that Venla Hobie is coming in with some expectations that I think, quite honestly, that she will meet. And what I hear you saying is it's just a matter of the team can meet those expectations as well. So I love that. All right, let's go around the horn. We'll start with you, Dan, then to Angelica before I close this out. Dan, let folks know where they can follow you and uh, share something that you have coming down the pike so we can uh, make sure we're supporting your work. Uh, first of all, thanks to both of you for having me on. I really appreciate that. I appreciate the kind words that you said earlier as well. Um, I don't really think too highly of myself um, in, in those regards, so it's nice to hear that out loud. And um, the, 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 uh, Oh, come on. We know we're all about, yeah, the, we're all about pumping tires here I, at Founding Pool. And I appreciate that. The, um, <laughs> it's, it's funny, I, I had Allie Monroe from The Whale on, on our podcast, Future Considerations, which you can find anyway you've listened to podcasts. Um, and she said, you know, there were a couple of things, news and notes or, or signings that I broke over the summer or, or things of that matter that she said, you know, we didn't even know about them and you found out. So I, I'm as I said, I'm not one to pat myself on the back, but hearing things like that and what you guys said uh, means a lot to me. So I appreciate that. I work pretty hard at it. Um, I had a lot yeah, of <laughs> I have a lot of great um, sources, people that that trust me with information, things like that. So um, yeah, so you can find, find my out work. things about the 
<laughs> I'm sorry, you find out things about the Beast before I do, and I get, like, mad. I'm like, what the heck? How did Dan get that? But, you know, the, the Buttes are actually the, the one team where, I, I mean, if I had to rank them one to seven, I, I probably knew the least about them. Um, Nate plays a lot of stuff pretty close to the vest, and obviously oh, he him and I are pretty good friends. But oh, yeah. um, I, w- I was able to get a, a, a few tidbits here and there, not from him, obviously. But, um, yeah, you know, like some of the things like um, like Mouse Iliotis and, and Tori Sullivan going to the well, like that was – that was a big one I didn't really see coming and, and kind of fell into my lap. And, and uh, I like the move for, for Connecticut. Um, but uh, as far as my work, everybody can, you know, uh, read my stuff over at the Ice Garden. Uh, I have a weekly column uh, called Around the Rink that'll be uh, once a week during the season. Uh, we've kind of did like uh, once a month here in the off season, maybe once every couple of weeks. But uh, once the season gets going, um, any week there's a game, we'll have uh, – We'll have uh, sometime in the middle of the week, we'll have them up. I have a bunch of features uh, that I'll be working on throughout the season. Um, first and foremost, coming up, I have uh, one on Buffalo's new netminder, Cassidy Sauve. Um, had a great chance to meet with her and speak with her after the, the exhibition game. Um, so that'll be that's, – that's the next thing coming from me that, that'll be up on the Ice Garden probably sometime in the beginning of this upcoming week. Um, and then as the season goes on, it'll be – um, as many games as I can get to, I'm, I'm going to try to do that and um, continue to great coverage. It's it's been great to to get back out and start to see everybody again, and, uh, whether it was at the Riveters um, Welcome to the Mall event or, or the preseason game and seeing some faces from Buffalo and, and meeting some new ones. You know, the, the last two years with COVID, um, it's been kind of tough where um, lose a little of that, that face-to-face, in-person kind of connection and interviews and um, I've got to know a lot of players, um, a silver lining to all that is I got to know a lot of players pretty well through Zoom or through chats or, or through podcast or through uh, uh, text messaging. Um, so it's been, been great to, to meet up with them and, and uh, hopefully continue that throughout the season. And um, yeah, that's, that's pretty much it. And I guess on Twitter, everybody, if you're not, if you're following me here already, you're, you already know my, you can add me at D. Dr. Ice Hockey or D. Rice Hockey, however you want to look at it. Um, but, yeah, you can – if anybody has any questions, feel free to just ask me and uh, more than help you to help out. And as I said at the top, thanks again for having me on. I really appreciate this. And um, anytime you, you need anything, just reach out. I'll, you know, I guess I'll, I'll help you out. He's amazing. Everyone give Dan a follow if you're on Twitter spaces. You can just click his circle at the top and uh, that will be where you can find him on this lovely bird app. <laughs> and he let us know what you got in the works. We still have some more PHF previews, but uh, what from your perspective up in Buffalo you got going on? Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, obviously, we still got a couple of these previews left. Um, I have my Buttes preview coming down the pike at the Ice Garden. Um, I also have a feature, and Dan's got the uh, newcomers. I've got a, a bit of a, a mainstay at this point, or a returner in uh, Claudia Kepler. Finally got a chance to speak to her last week, so I'm putting together my uh, feature there. It was a really nice uh, chat that we had, so uh, really excited. She's super excited to, you know, come back and be a part of the team, um, and uh, I do Butte's Notebook. Um, it should be you know, every week starting, uh, you know, probably this week. Um, I didn't do it last week, but I didn't also, I didn't go to any practices the week prior. So that's why, but anyway, um, 
I also have uh, my Wicked Angels Harmonious Garden that uh, I talk about. Uh, some more broad scale things uh, that I think about with the PHF and women's hockey in general. And uh, here on this lovely Bluebird app, you can find me at Reina de la Isla. And uh, yeah, that's about it. Love it. And I am Erica L. Ayala, your co-host of the Founding Four podcast. Of course, on Wednesday, we will continue on with our uh, PHF previews. So we are headed to Minnesota. Oh, yeah. I dropped my plate as well, though. Already. Opa, I already finished. I already finished the meal, which is the most important part. Anyway, um, <laughs> <laughs> um, as far as what I have coming down the pike, so I also cover the men's national hockey league, the Seattle Kraken, particularly. But uh, the NHL released a diversity and inclusion report, so I have some stuff over at Black Rosie Media that will be breaking down my thoughts, but more importantly, in my opinion, highlighting some Black, Indigenous, and or people of color in the hockey space that we should all know, support, and appreciate. Um, So I'm very excited for that. But uh, other than that, That'll do for this Sunday edition. Again, we're headed to Minnesota. Oh, yeah. Before we close out these PHF reviews with Montreal, who's taking on Boston right now, I believe. And then uh, the Toronto Six will head up north of the border uh, to talk about the Canadian teams before the puck drops on the eighth season of this Women's Hockey League, the National Women's Hockey League, now the Premier Hockey Federation. All right, folks, thank you so much for spending some of your Sunday with us. Uh, Go follow Dan. As always, you can find Angelica and I right here on the Founding Four Pod. And if you support Black people and melanated faces in hockey, support Black Rosie Media as well. All right. Thanks, everyone. This will be available on our podcast platform as well as some of the interviews that we'll have coming up. Uh, But until Wednesday, have a great evening. Don't drop your plates, especially if there's food on them. Uh, And we'll see you next time.